case you missed it, here's King David, the most powerful man in all of Israel. And what does he say? Everything belongs to God. Every resource that the people brought belong to God. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. Now, it may not be exactly, but what do you hear in David's prayer? God's kingdom, God's power, God's glory. David understood, which so many of us today forget, that even though he thought it was a geographical kingdom, the Bible tells us that the kingdom of God is no longer a physical location. It now resides in the hearts, in the lives of God's people. And that everywhere you go, every step you take, if you have the Holy Spirit in you because you confess Jesus as Lord, the kingdom of God goes with you. Everywhere you go is the kingdom moving out. There is no physical house for the Lord anymore because here's what Paul tells us. Now you are the temple of God. You are the house for the Lord's. That's an amazing thought, which is all the more reason why we need to be reminded today of this. For yours alone is the kingdom. It's not about building my kingdom. It's not about my human strength and power, and it's not for my glory. Now, here's what I want you to hear. What you and I built, whether it be an empire, a business, a church, a family, a name for ourselves, it will all eventually fade away. Now, many of you have heard this. I grew up in San Diego, and one of the things I loved to do when I was a kid, I'd go to the beach. How many of you ever been to like an actual beach? By the way, this isn't a real beach. If there's nothing, nothing in the water that can eat you, it's not a beach. It's it's some sand, like you can do things, but if you, if you can't step in the water and think you're going to get stung by something other than like those little water fleas, those things are gross. It's not, oh, that's all I'm going to say. It's not a beach. Okay, so I would grow up and I loved going to La Jolla Shores, Mission Beach. That's where, those are my stomping grounds, right? But I love to build sandcastles. How many of you ever built a sandcastle before? You know what I'm talking about? You build a sandcastle and here's the thing. You can't use dry sand to build a sandcastle. So what do you got to do? You got to get the wet sand. Well, if you really want to build a good castle, you want to be as close to the wet sand as possible while still not being close to the water. Because we've all seen that moment. And I, I mean, I've seen it. I'm, not, I, I'm, I'm ashamed to admit it. I've laughed a few times when you see a kid building a castle, not realizing that there's a, a tide of water that comes out and he's all excited. And then all of a sudden the water comes and knocks it down. And then the kid starts to cry. I'm not going to lie. I laugh a little bit because I'm like, dude, that's what you get. You're not supposed to build it by water. You're supposed to take it over. But here's the thing. No matter what beach you go to, eventually the tide is going to come in. And eventually, no matter how far away you think you can build that castle, if it's on the beach, eventually it's going to fall into the sea. The same is true with our castles and our kingdoms. Eventually, everything we built that is man-made will cease to exist either because of the tide of time, the tide of sin, or the tide of God's ultimate kingdom come. And I think we need to be reminded of that because we are so busy building our empires. But here's the thing. When we let God build his kingdom in us and through us, 
for his name, for his glory, those things will be eternal. The Apostle Paul tells us this in 1 Corinthians 3. He says, listen, whatever is gold, whatever is silver, costly stone, wood, hay, or stubble, all those things are going to be shown for what they are when God's kingdom come. And the things that are eternal will stay. We actually get to invest and build in God's kingdom now. Every single one of us. And it starts with God, us surrendering who we are to God in our lives. Now, I want to tell you, you might be surprised by this. This actually connects with Baptism Sunday. You may not realize it, but baptism is all about God's kingdom. Towards the beginning of this series, we taught about God's kingdom come and will be done. We learned every kingdom, the people, their values ultimately reflect their king. And that king is Jesus. Who's our king? Let me say that again. Who's our king? Jesus is our king. I am not king. You are not king. The president is not king. Jesus is king. Amen. And that's the difference. And more importantly, when we learn about God's kingdom and we realize that it's not limited to a map, that it is not being about whether it's in Clear Lake, Iowa, it is wherever God's people are. That is where the kingdom is. That means God's kingdom is in China right now. That means God's kingdom is in North Korea right now. That means God's kingdom is in the most, most depraved, most broken parts of the world. If there are Christians there, God's kingdom is invading in the darkness. Amen? And God's kingdom is here. Now, what does this have to do with baptism? Well, Jesus came to defeat an enemy. Now, most human wars are fought through blood. Jesus doesn't fight like humans did. The blood that was shed was his own. And he declared ultimate victory over Satan. And he did it by dying on the cross. But he also declared victory over our sin and the powers of death. This is why we worship Jesus. But here's the thing. Jesus has enemies. And before you belong to Jesus, before you confess Jesus... This is what the Bible tells us, and I know this isn't popular, but we all need to hear it. Colossians 1.21, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior. If you do not belong to Jesus, you are an enemy of Jesus. Now you might be thinking, Jason, I got no problem with Jesus. Yeah, I'm not a Christian. Why am I an enemy of Jesus? I mean, here's the thing. I think Jesus is a pretty great guy. He seemed like a nice enough person. He's a good teacher. He said some really cool things, even did some things. I mean, isn't that a bit intense to say that if I'm not a Christian, that I'm an enemy of God? Well, here's the thing. Jesus left no middle ground. Jesus didn't come to be declared a nice person, a good teacher, or a moral leader. Jesus came to be king. King of our lives king of every aspect of what we do. And when if I refuse to accept him as king, there's a word for that. It's called treason. When I reject a king and I say, no, you're not king, I am, that's treason. If I were to come into America and say, you know what, I, I refuse to live by American laws. In fact, I want to overthrow. I reject all the things that are in our country. Now, you might go, that's not treason. But when you take it the next step and say, you know what? He's not president. I am. 
And in fact, I'm going to do everything in my power to become president, not through the right ways. <laughs> if you want to run for president in our country, we're pretty blessed for that, aren't we? But if you want to overthrow a president, if you want to rule our country without going through the right channels, that's treason. And in God's economy, if Jesus isn't king, somebody else is or something else is. So Jesus came to say, listen, I didn't come to be just a nice guy. I didn't come just so I could have good teachings and some good moral values. I came to be Lord of your life. And if you don't want that, then you don't want my kingdom. And that's okay. It breaks Jesus' heart. And one day you will realize what that looks like. Romans 5.10 says this, For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more have we been reconciled? Shall we be saved through his life? Jesus died to make a relationship with us. Jesus gave his life. He demanded that we call him Lord. But he does not demand that you follow him. Let me explain what I mean by that. Eventually, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The difference is, will you do it now when you have freedom and choice? Or will you do it later at Judgment Day? A day when which Jesus will be seen through all of creation, through all of history, and say, no, I am Lord. And at that moment, every knee will bow. Romans 10, 9 through 12 says this, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you are not a Christian, if you have not surrendered your life, here's my plea to you. You have a God who is crazy about you. He doesn't just love you, he likes you. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to restore you. He wants to bring you back in to fellowship. Now, Jason, what's this got to do with baptism? Well, here we go. Before Jesus began his ministry at age 30, his cousin, this weird guy named John the Baptist, a different John than the one who wrote one of the Gospels, the fourth Gospel of the Scriptures, this guy comes and he goes to the Jordan River and he is proclaiming the coming of Jesus. He stood in the waters of the River Jordan and there boldly told God's people that they needed to repent from their sin, to turn away from what they had been doing, that they had rejected God. And then he said, now be baptized. That word baptized, it means the word is baptismos in Greek and it literally means to be immersed, submerged. To be baptized in the river Jordan for the forgiveness of your sins so that they might be washed away. But now listen to what John the Baptist says about his cousin, Jesus. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I am, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Then... 
Jesus walks into the water. John the Baptist, who has been baptizing men and women for a while, all of a sudden sees Jesus coming and he goes, I'm not worthy to even tie your sandals. What are you doing here? And Jesus says, no, you need to baptize me. Now you're all familiar with this story. Jesus gets baptized. And as he's put into the water, you hear a voice from heaven saying, this is my son who I'm well pleased. And then what appears like a dove, the Holy Spirit then descends upon Jesus in front of everybody. It's the first picture of the Trinity we see in the Bible. In that moment, Jesus is, is affirmed as the Son of God, God in flesh. When we look at this, we have to realize that John's baptism was different than Jesus's, and we're going to get to this in a minute. John's baptism was one of washing away sins, but there was a limit to his. John's baptism could only deal with the sins that had taken place from that moment backwards. The minute they stepped out of the water, they sinned again and became unclean. Now, uh, it's like when I take a shower. Every time that I go to take a shower, the goal is to clean off the accumulated dirt of the day, or if you're my children, the week. <sighs> I don't know what it is with children and not wanting to take showers, man. I love a good shower. The goal is you're taking a shower, and why do you do it? Because you realize that throughout the day, you've accumulated ick. John's baptism was one of cleansing. It was meant to deal with the sin. Here's the thing. We don't need a baptizer. We need a savior. We need somebody who can deal with our sin once and for all. And Jesus' death on the cross for our sin is ultimately what saved us. But baptism is still part of the process. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 3. And I promise I'm not going to read the whole thing. John chapter 3, here's kind of what takes place. Again, we have this famous verse that we find in Scripture. If you've ever been to a sporting event in the 80s and 90s, we all had John 3.16, for God so loved the world. We're all familiar with that. Let me set the stage for you. Jesus has been going about preaching and teaching on the kingdom of God. He's been healing people. The dead are coming to life. The blind are being made to see. There's this guy named Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a religious leader, and he is intrigued by Jesus. He sees something in Jesus' life. He's unlike any other teacher he's ever seen before. And so in the middle of the night, Nicodemus comes to meet with Jesus. Now, there's a couple of reasons why people think he did this. The first is that possibly he was embarrassed or ashamed to be seen. He was afraid. And so Nicodemus comes at night to meet with Jesus. Now, another reason might have been in Jewish culture, you typically had conversations like this at night. This is when you debated theology or you had questions. So Nicodemus comes to meet with Jesus and he says, Jesus, surely you have been sent by God because no one could teach with authority like you do. No one could do the things that you've done unless they're from God. Now listen to what Jesus' response is. Verse 5. Sorry, 3. Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Nicodemus then, a little confused, says, 
How can someone be born again when they are old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. I got to be honest, that's not only weird, but a little horrifying. Like seeing a grown person crawl back up into their mother's womb and then being born again. That's just a weird picture and the stuff of nightmares. John's or Nicodemus's question is valid. This doesn't make sense to him. He's never heard this before. Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. What is Jesus talking about? When Jesus says that we must be born of water and of spirit, I was taught when I was younger what he was referring to was childbirth. And what happens when a woman first goes into labor? The first sign is their water breaks, right? Here's the problem. <coughs> Excuse me. There's no evidence in the ancient world that water was ever associated with childbirth. What's the water that Jesus is referring to? The baptism of repentance. And the Spirit is the Holy Spirit that enters in when we confess Christ as Lord. When we go into the baptismal waters of Christ, we are first and foremost confessing that Jesus Christ has died for our sin once and for all. But before you confess that he died for your sin, you must admit you have sin. You only need a Savior to die for your sin if you have sin for him to die for. Now, here's the powerful part that comes into this. When we go in, we check out Romans chapter 6. The water equals repentance. In other words, you cannot enter God's kingdom until you've turned away from the kingdom you used to belong to, the king you used to serve. That king might have been you. That king might have been uh, your job, money, sex, power, drugs, alcohol, fame, whatever it might be. But you and me, we need to be born of the Spirit to be resurrected into new life, to be born again. Listen to Romans chapter 6. Or don't you know that all of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, we were also baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. As Lutherans, and I want to tell you, not everybody agrees what takes place in baptism. We are a Lutheran church. If you're not Lutheran, that's okay. Baptismal, the promise of baptism still extends regardless of your Lutheran, Baptist, Catholic, Methodist, non-denominational, Presbyterian. Ultimately, we preach Christ crucified, not Martin Luther. Amen? I almost said Martin Luther King. Totally different Martin Luther. When we are baptized, our old self dies with Christ and we are raised new in Christ through his resurrection. This does not mean that you must be baptized to be saved. If I need to be baptized to be saved, it means Christ's death on the cross is not enough. But rather, the reason why we are baptized is because Jesus commands it, and we believe 
that the Holy Spirit does something through it. Did you catch that? We believe that when we are baptized, brought into the waters, the Holy Spirit does something with us, in us. It's the water with the word of God that makes baptism powerful. Now, here's the thing. If you get baptized, but it's not in the name of Jesus and it's not done through the word of Christ, you're just taking a bath. That's all you're doing. If you go out into the water today and you're not confessing Christ as Lord of your life, if you are not coming, believing in the promise of scripture, you might as well just hop in the shower because that's all you're doing. And you're not even really getting all that clean. Rather, when the water comes together with the word and the promise of God, something happens. We believe the Holy Spirit is involved. When Jesus commanded us to do this, the, the command was simple. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the Great Commission. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. So what happens when we get baptized? Are you ready for this? If you want to take notes right now is the time. Here we go. First, when we get baptized, according to Romans 6, we are united with, with Christ's death and resurrection. It means our old self died with Jesus on the cross and our new self rises again with him. Second, our sins are washed away. Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Third, it rescues us from Satan and his domain. It's changing citizenship. Fourth, it unites us to the family of God, the kingdom of God. When we are baptized together, we are baptized into a family. Now, here's what we're going to do today. We're doing baptism in the park a little bit differently. In the past, everybody would hang out on the shore and watch those being baptized. I want to invite every single one of you into the water with us today. Whether or not you're getting baptized, I want to invite you all to join us in the water. And here's why. Because we're all in this together. Faith is not practiced alone. Our baptism is not in isolation. It's as a family. Amen? And so even if you didn't bring your swim gear, come into the water with us. I don't care if you go ankle deep all the way up to your chest. Whatever you want to do, we want to invite everyone into the water. And I'm going to tell you, God's going to do some cool stuff. Because here's the next thing. After he unites us, he makes us new through the Holy Spirit. But it's only when it's done in the name of Jesus, through the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now let me tell you what we don't believe so that you all understand. First, we do not believe that baptism is symbolic. We believe that there is actually something happens. Second, we do not believe that you have to be fully immersed in order to be baptized. We, this is just a great way to do it. We also do sprinklings. There are lots of ways. Here's the deal. Back in the ancient world, if they didn't have a river, it's not like they were like, oh, no, no river. We can't baptize. They'd take a cup of water and pour it over your head. We got this beautiful lake that we get to do baptism in. The mode doesn't matter. Only the water with the word in the name of Jesus does. Third, you do not have to be baptized to be saved. Salvation is through Christ and Christ 
alone. The thief on the cross sitting next to Jesus or hanging next to Jesus never got baptized and he was promised eternal life. This is why we believe it's also the word that brings salvation. Just because you were baptized as a baby or as a teenager doesn't mean you're all good. I've talked to way too many people when I ask them if they're a Christian and they'll say this, well, I was baptized Lutheran. That's great. That's not what I asked. I asked, are you following Jesus? We are saved through faith in Jesus as Lord. And so if you were baptized as a baby, that baptism is still effectual. It still did something. But it's faith that saves you, not because someone put water on you as a child. But when a child is baptized, we believe the Holy Spirit works in that child's life to bring faith to fruition. There is regeneration that takes place. There are four reasons people get baptized, and then we're going to start getting our hearts ready. First, if you're a brand new believer, this is a no-brainer. If today, in hearing this, you went, you know what, I need Jesus to be the Lord of my life. If today you gave your life to Christ, you can be baptized today. You don't need to fill out a form. You can come into the waters and submit your life to Christ and be baptized today. If you came to Christ sometime this year and you want to be baptized, that's why you get. It's the first thing. It's the one call that we see clearly in scriptures. For new believers, baptism go together. Second, if you were baptized as a baby, this is not a re-baptism. It is not a second baptism. I know many people who have said, Jason, I was baptized as a child and I've grown up in faith and I love Jesus and I want to be baptized to affirm what God has already done. I'm not being baptized because my first one didn't work. I want to be baptized because this is my proclamation for what Jesus has done in my life and I want everyone to know. Third, some of you, are being baptized simply because you want to reaffirm what God is doing. But here's the part. If you have a baby or a child being baptized, we as Lutherans do believe that you can baptize a child. And it's the faith of the parent with the word of God and the promises of God, believing that the Holy Spirit works through baptism. And we could have a whole bigger sermon on this, and maybe we'll do that sometime. Actually, on the podcast coming up, we talk quite a bit about infant baptism. So if you're really curious, you can do that. But here's the fourth reason, and I don't want you to miss this. Sometimes people choose to be baptized to go and affirm their faith because they realize that they walked away for a little while. And it's a, a way of saying, you know what? I want a new beginning. And in this moment, I do believe that it is partly symbolic. It is coming in and reminding themselves of God's baptismal promise to them and so they go into the water saying, you know what? I had my back turned to God. I've done some things this year that were not honoring to the Lord. And I want to be reminded of a new beginning. And baptism is a beautiful way to remind yourself of the promise. This morning, we are stepping into the waters of baptism. And if you've put your hope, trust, and faith in Jesus as Savior and Lord... If you've never been baptized, want to reaffirm your baptism, or simply want a fresh start, we want to invite you to come into the waters. Join with us as a family. We believe that the kingdom life comes through baptism, through the Holy Spirit, and through the water. So, with that being said, listen to this closing word. This is from 1 Corinthians 12, 13. Paul writes this. For we were all 
baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jew or Gentile, citizen of Clear Lake or Mason City, we were all given the one spirit to drink, whether Baptist or Methodist or Lutheran or non-denominational, whatever you might be, if you confess Jesus Christ as Lord, we are family. We are in this together. Every single one of us needs to be reminded of the promise and work of what God has done when we were baptized into this kingdom. Because here's the thing. Our baptism reminds us that God is setting us free and making us new. Amen? Would you stand with us? We're going to come and take our tithe and offering. And as this point, as we're preparing our heart during this last song, as you bring your offering forward, here's also what I'm going to ask. Prepare your hearts for the water. As we're coming, prepare your hearts. And for those who are just coming in to celebrate with us, maybe you don't want to be baptized. That's okay. Or maybe you're like, Jason, my baptism was awesome. I just want to be a part of what God is doing. Come into the water. Let us come with our hearts open and seeing what the Lord is doing because the Lord is good. Jesus is king. He is on the throne and his kingdom is on the move. Amen? When you're ready, we'll receive our tithe and offering. And then once we're done with worship, we're going to the lake and have a little party. Woo!